0: Today's scripture reading is from Proverbs 3, 1 through 12. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 540 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I'm sorry. It's just my favorite one. And he shall direct your paths. (laughs) I'm sorry. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. This is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Carol. I really appreciate you reading that for us. How many of you know that there were a couple of ball games yesterday? Baseball, right? Yeah. No, no, not, not Wisconsin Badgers football. Oh my goodness. There was a great ball game last night. How many of you watched the Cubs game, Cubs Dodgers game? Not oh come on. Oh, there we go. All right, very good. Well, uh, I need to pray for you guys, I guess. Yeah. Um, the uh, well, if you were watching it, you noticed there was a ter- lot of the tremendous amount of drama that occurred in the eighth inning of that game. Tremendous amount of drama. Uh, there was three to one Cubs when the inning began, um, and then before long, uh, an Aralys Chapman came in. That big old left hander throws the. Ball at an illegal speed, I think, and he quickly gets the first couple of outs, and then suddenly, though, there is a base hit by Adrian Gonzalez, two runs score, and now the Cubs, who were up three to one, are now tied three to three. And Chapman has already pitched the eighth inning. What's going to happen, right? We, well, you know what I'm saying, guys. Um, and then uh, in comes the Dodgers with my, uh, Blanton pitching, and uh, and they now they've tied the game three to three. It's the bottom of the eighth inning. Ben Zobris hits a double off of and Addison Rubble, Russell hits a ground out, oh, man, uh, man on second, uh, one out. Um, Jason Hayward is intentionally walked, man on first and second, one out. Javier Baez, sort of the star of the series so far, is up. He flies out, um, and then there's an intentional walk ultimately to uh, Chris Coughlin. So now the bases are loaded, and uh, and we're wondering, what's going to be happening? What's going to be happening? And then up to the plate uh, be, uh, steps uh, Miguel Montero, a former Diamondback catcher uh, who's there who's had just… He, He's had a forgettable season, and nothing's gone right for him. In fact, there was question as to whether or not he would even make the postseason roster. He comes up with the bases loaded, and everybody's wondering what's going to happen. Will uh, uh, Will the uh, manager, um, uh, um, uh, Dave Roberts? Sorry, his name escaped me. From well, uh, uh, now Dave Roberts puts in Montero. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Got my names mixed up. Uh, Joe Madden puts in Montero as the hitter. Well, will, will uh, Dave Roberts put in another pitcher, a left-handed pitcher to face the left-handed hitter, uh, or will he keep the right-handed hitter in there? Who? What's going to be happening? Decisions, decisions, decisions. If you're a baseball fan, and obviously few of you are, <laughs> I just say baseball is like great literature, football is like a sitcom. It, it expects nothing out of you. It just sort of happens in front of you. It makes you laugh. It just happens. But baseball, you know, is an acquired taste and, and to each his own. I mean, I love football as well, obviously, but uh, but I'm a fan of baseball in particular. I, man, oh, man. You know, I didn't know sports would get me in so much trouble in this sermon. Um, when, uh, and all these decisions that are being made, what will the manager do? Will he take out Aroldis Chapman in order to put in Miguel Montero? What will happen? If he puts in Montero, what will, what will the Dodger manager do? And if he changes the pitcher there, will Montero then give place to another? What's going to be happening? Many decisions that had to be made and lots of wisdom that was needed in order to make those decisions. And I won't tell you what happened at that point. Uh, you have to figure it out for yourself, yeah. Um, but the point I'm making is that in the midst of all of that, each manager is faced with many decisions that are often going to be a second guest, and they only know how they turn out by what happens as a result of them. But most of the time, there's not a hard and fast right or wrong decision. And managers are paid money to be able to make decisions in those kinds of situations. And so it is that I give this as an illustration, not only because I thought it was a great game and like to talk about baseball, which of course both are true, uh, but I also because we're talking about wisdom. We're talking about the uh, Uh, the the book of Proverbs last week and this, and we're trying to understand this this very important issue. What is wisdom? How do I gain it? What's it all about? And we see that wisdom is prudence and insight applied to the 80% of life for which there are no hard and fast right and wrong answers. Do I marry this person or that person? Do I take this job or that job? Do I live in this place or in that place? Do I invest this way or that way? Uh, What do I do in the midst of the myriad issues of our lives where right and wrong are not the question, you know, but, uh, but there is important decisions to be made, And so, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. A lot of you are studying it with us in the, uh, uh, in the Daily Bread Project. And so, I want, again, for us, while we're in the middle of this, to take another look at the whole idea of wisdom. And I want you to see two very simple things that come from the text which Carol read for you earlier. Two things about wisdom that you can jot down in your notes if you want. First of all, wisdom is a path. And second of all, wisdom is a walk. Very simple. Wisdom is a path. Wisdom is a walk. All right? Let's take a look at the first one. We see here that wisdom is a path. There are no shortcuts to wisdom. Wisdom is uh, is referred to in this way as, uh, as a path. He will make straight your paths and the word path is used over 700 times in the bible often to talk about the path of life that you will that you must take for example even in the very next chapter of proverbs and i did print a little bit of it for you in your uh, in your message notes since you since there was a little bit of space to do so we see that it talks about uh, the path of wisdom look at ver- uh, chapter 4 verse 11 and so verse 11 i have taught you the way of wisdom i have led you in the paths of right, uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go in it. Turn away from it and pass on. And verse 18, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Here and in many places in Proverbs, wicked, uh, 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 wisdom is referred to as a path which we walk, a path which we follow. And it's very important for us to understand that wisdom is a path. What do I mean by that? Why the metaphor of a path? Well, think about a path. There's a path that takes me from my house to the buffalo chip. I often walk it when I come here to pray on Friday nights. Or I walk it back home. Oh, my goodness, what a beautiful walk it was on Friday. The moon was so bright that I did not even have to have my uh, f- my flashlight to see the way over the hill. I mean, it was so bright that there was, I remember at a time when I was 17 and I was at NAU for something called Boys State. Remember that Boys State deal? Uh, and I was at NAU and, uh, and I went out to read the scriptures. I have a vivid memory of this with my Bible. I was kind of lonely there. It was kind of a hard time. All these boys thrust together in a special event and I didn't know what I was doing. And I remember opening up my Bible to read underneath a tree and the moon was so bright up at NAU. I could read my Bible without, without a light. I remembered that when I walked home this other night. A beautiful, a beautiful image of the, of, of the sun. And did any of you see the fireworks the other night and the moon behind last night? Beautiful, beautiful day. But my point is about a path. In order for me to get from here to there, if I'm following a path, it's a day, it's a moment-by-moment, moment, steady, repeating action. Step, step, step. Step you don't somersault a path generally speaking. You don't even usually run a path. You don't crawl a path. You walk a path. You just take it step by step by step. Walking a path, a path is accomplished by steady, repeating, mundane, boring actions. Is that right? If you're gonna walk some of you are avid hikers. Uh, I'm an avid cyclist, and it's not the same thing, but in order to get where I want to go when I bicycle, I need to take turn that pedal round and round and around, steady, repeated action. When you walk a path and you hike the Grand Canyon, you hike up this mountain behind us over here, you walk up a path, and in order to do that, you need steady, repeated, mundane motion. So if wisdom is a path, that means it's not like a door you open, here I am. It's a path you walk. Do you see the difference? It's so important to see that. You see, the the metaphor of a path lets us to see that walking a path is easy to do, but it must be done over and over and over and over and over again. And over a period of time, you will then accomplish a great distance by the steady application of repeated motions to the task ahead of you. Now, we don't walk much in our culture, but they had little option back then. If they want to get from A to B, you know, they generally had to walk that distance. And so they understood instinctively that progress took time and that progress was accompanied by the faithful repetition of mundane activities. They never even thought about it. They just knew that's the way life was. It was just the air they breathed. You think about this? They just, they just knew to get to A to B, you just have to walk, and you take time. If you want anything worthwhile to happen, it takes time, and it requires activity that's repeated over a course of a period of time. Now, they understood that, but you and I don't, right? We used, to, you know, we, we if I want to send, if I want to talk to you, how do I do it? I send the text message you have it right now, anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, Email the same thing. Even the post office, two days, that's way too slow, right? Right? We want everything now, right? Now. And you want wisdom now. That's what we want. We want something that we can just do quickly, give me three steps, and I've got it done. Uh, And and, and so, with regard to wisdom, given our quick, quick fix culture, we have to realize that wisdom is not just something like, press a button, and it happens, standing before the microwave, thinking, I don't have all minute, right, for something that would have taken an hour to cook before. We are so, so prone to think that everything needs to happen right now, and that's how we look at wisdom. That's what we expect often when we come to church. Give me a tip, a technique, something I can help my life right now. I, I don't know whether to stay in my marriage or not. Let me do How do I fix my marriage? Tell me right now. Get it Get, get it to me. me Give me a, give me a a principle right we don't understand that the ability to have a good marriage is the, uh, the is the application of many mundane even boring activities over a period of a long time it's day by day by day investing in that relationship you know, wisdom is not, a, there's no magic formula for getting wisdom. It must be cultivated day by day over a long period of time. This is a, such, such an important issue. I, I don't really wish to take a lot of time with it, but I do. I was thinking about something that C.S. Lewis wrote many years ago in his book, Abolition of Man. And he made an interesting point about ancient cultures versus the modern culture. Let me read it for you from Abolition of Man in my volume 87, page 87. He says that he wrote, there is something which unites magic and applied science technology while separating them from the wisdom of earlier ages. He's basically saying there was a wisdom of earlier ages, and there was also magic. And sometimes our approach to science and technology is like magic. He goes on to say, for the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, virtue. For the modern, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man. And the solution is a technique. See, we're trying to change reality around us. The ancient sages understood reality exists. We want to apply ourselves to understanding that reality. Wisdom is a path. It is not a door If it's a door, I ask, how can I get the right key, open the lock, and walk in? Uh, That's what we really want, right? But that's an illusion, a misconception. We become wise by, and I know I'm repeating myself again, redundantly, over once and more and again, obviously. Did you get that joke? Thank you, Barbara. Um, uh, we, We become wise by assuming a certain set of daily practices over and again. Right, left, right left, we practice them. And in the process, we become a wise person. Imagine if someone were to come to you to say, you know, I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. What do I do to get ready? (laughs) You say, well, tell me about your training. Oh, I haven't trained. I just want to get ready for tomorrow. You'd say you're foolish. And when you say to me, I need wisdom, and you've not been practicing and walking in the way of wisdom, you're being foolish. You're being foolish, yeah. Yeah, wisdom is a long and patient quest filled with many day-in simple things. Day-in, day-in and day-out things It does not happen quickly. It is, there was a a writer that I, I like, he wrote a commentary on Jeremiah, his name is Eugene Peterson. It was entitled this, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I read that book like 30 years ago and I thought, I don't know if the book's any good, but I like that title. A long obedience in the same direction. Wisdom is a path, not a door. There are no shortcuts. Well, then how do we walk the path of wisdom? I want to suggest to you five ways that we need to walk. Under the second point, wisdom is a walk. It's not a highway. (laughs) It's not a run, really. Wisdom is a path we must walk. And there are several things that are talked about here in this passage, uh, Proverbs uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, I'd like to suggest them to you. They're not the only things that could be said about wisdom, but they're important things that occur in this text. The first thing we need to do is to walk in God's love and faithfulness. Walk in God's love and faithfulness. He says in the third verse, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, he's speaking about something which we bind around our neck, and we place deep into the recesses of our heart. And what is it that he's saying to make sure is near to your heart? Steadfast love and faithfulness. I did a whole message recently on this whole idea of steadfast love about a month or so ago that is God's covenant love, his kessed, his steadfast, unfailing love, which is a commitment love. He's saying to them, he's saying, make sure that you let the, I, the, the reality that you are unconditionally forever loved by God become so real to you that it sits closest to your heart. If you want to grow in wisdom, you need to grow day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year in the greater and greater understanding of just how incredibly devoted God is to you, how incredibly loving God is to you, how incredibly forgiving God has been for you, so that when you go through a tough time, you don't blame God. You know God looks out for you, right? When you have a difficult decision to make, you don't blame yourself. You don't worry about it. You know God's taking care of you. We need to build into our lives this sense of God's love, God's love. As we walk, we must make sure by daily practices that we are covered with God's steadfast love and faithfulness, God's hesed, God's covenant love, His unfailing love, His faithful love. If we want to grow in wisdom, we need to saturate ourselves, cover ourselves, clothe ourselves with God's love and faithfulness. God's absolutely committed love to you is the soil in which wisdom will grow. This may seem a little obtuse to you. Uh, You might say, well, I know that. But you know, we don't instinctively live and breathe out of the awareness that we are the deeply loved, unconditionally forgiven children of God. We're driven by shame, by guilt. We don't realize just how much God has trouble, God has gone to to place His love in our hearts. They knew about it in the Old Testament because God had called them out of Egypt. God had brought them to a mountain. God had established a covenant with them. God had committed Himself to them that they would be God's people in God's place under God's rule. They knew that that was true. That was a source of their identity. They often forgot it. That's why the Proverbs were written. Make sure God's steadfast love and faithfulness is deeply embedded, written in your hearts. I'm mindful of one of my favorite little books that I read years ago that I still come back to called Hind's Feet on High Places. Have any of you ever heard of that book? A few of you? Yeah. It's the story of a, it's an allegory. It's a story of a girl whose name is Much Afraid, and uh, she's apparently a deer, I'm guessing, or whatever, <laughs> uh, because a hind is a deer or an antelope. And she, her name is Much Afraid, and she lives in the town of, the, uh, uh, I forget the name of the town, but she's got lots of fearing brothers. She's the family of fearings. And the shepherd comes to the trysting place where ever so often she sees him, and he shares with her her love. And she says, oh, I wish I could run upon the mountains and live free like the hinds, like the antelope, the deer on the mountain, where the deer and the antelope play, that kind of a thing. And the shepherd said, you can do that. I will help you. I will help you. And she had such a hard time believing that. And ultimately, what the shepherd did is he said, I will take you on a path, and you will have to trust me. And over the course of that time, you will become free and alive like the antelope, like the deer, like the hind. And he did two things. He said, I will give you some companions to help you. I can walk part of the way with you, but I must give you some companions. She was grateful to do that. She knew she could trust the shepherd. And then he also placed his love in her heart, placed the seed of his love in her heart. And it hurt a little bit when he put it there but she could see that little seed of God's love growing in her heart. You see, what the shepherd was beginning to do was giving to her a promise about her future, but also placing his love in her heart. We need to have the deep sense of God's unconditional, unfailing love in our hearts. We need to become absolutely assured of that love, but we don't automatically see that, do we? because often we prefer the love and adoration of other people more than we prefer the love and acceptance of God. We come to decisions and we think we trust the wisdom of other people rather than the wisdom of God. Something happens to us and we struggle with guilt for our past decisions because we don't really believe that we're absolutely loved and forgiven by God. God. Our love tank has gotten very low, and we look to others to fulfill it, perhaps, but God is the one who can. When, you question, when we question whether I can really trust God, why? Because I don't really uh, believe His love. We need God's unfailing love to become second nature to our hearts. How do we do that? We go deeper into our relationship with God every day. Remember, it's a day-by-day walk. You don't get it here. You start the path here. You find a way every day to have yourself exposed and overflowed by and filled with the sense of the love of God. How does that happen? Well, perhaps the daily discipline of soaking your soul in God's love and faithfulness. Reading the scriptures every day, listening to worship music every day, finding relationships where it helps you to see the love of God for you every day, Uh, uh, memorizing scriptures. Singing, music, all these things. Even the first verse of the song that we sang just before this message. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. Do you get it? Yeah. That awareness, that truth deeply planted in your heart will change you and will make you more wise. That's the first practice, the first step. The second thing that this passage teaches is healthy self-examination. Healthy self-examination. Walk in healthy self-examination. We need to know God's love. His incredible love for us. Yes, of course, we can't get enough of knowing about that, but we also need to know our own limitations. Limitations. We need to know our own limitations. Look what it says there in the fifth verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And what? Do not lean on your own understanding. Or in the old fashioned version, lean not on thine own understanding. And if you remember it that way, yeah. Lean not on thy own understanding. In the seventh verse, it says, be not wise in, your own wise in your own eyes. We need a bigger view of God's incredible love and a smaller view of our competency. We get our mixed up, don't we? Don't you? I'm getting a blank look. Maybe I'm the only guy. I've got too much a view of my competency and too little a view of God's love. We need to get those reversed. I need to be aware of my limitations. Here we see a great paradox of proverbial wisdom. And that is this wise people are very aware of their foolishness, <laughs> fools are very convinced of their wisdom. That's the truth. That's the truth. Yes. If I think I'm not a fool, I am. If I think I am a fool, I'm not. Yes, the world is upside down. I need to understand how much I need God's guidance. Wisdom is being in touch with reality, like C.S. Lewis wrote about earlier, and the one reality that we need to know in order to know the rest of reality is to know who we are, and we're not as smart as we think we are. We're not as good as we think we are. We're not as holy as we think we are. We need God more than we even know we need God. We need to realize that many of our natural instincts are counterproductive. We must not lean simply on our own understanding. Anytime you start your sentence with this, I don't think God, or be careful, because what you think about God is not the important thing. (laughs) What God thinks about you is the important thing. (laughs) right? And how often have we made decisions like this? I don't think God wants me to be unhappy, therefore, you know. I don't think God wants me to give, uh, to support this terrible government, therefore, you know. I don't think God wants, and we just think that so. what we think is the issue. Yeah. We need to realize that many of our natural instincts are counter productive. We must not simply lean on our own understanding. And if you've tried to hit a baseball, tried to fuel a baseball, tried to hit a golf ball, you know that many of your natural instincts are not good. They won't help you achieve the desired result. You need to unlearn bad habits and learn new habits. But before you are willing to unlearn those bad habits, you need to be willing to be humble about your abilities. Just because one out of 10 of your drives goes 300 miles, 300 yards straight doesn't mean you should keep swinging it that way. Maybe it would be better for you to get 220 miles, eight out of 20, 220 yards, eight out of 10 times, and you'd be a better golfer, but you're just so machismo, you want to swing that thing as hard as you can, grip it as loud, hard as you can and swing it. Why? You need to be honest about your weaknesses, And we are that way, too. We just keep bumping our heads into the same problem over and over again. We've got to have one relationship because we think it's a bad when we bring the same person into the next relationship. We think that's a bad relationship. And then we bring the same person into the next relationship. And it's always about those people, right? And then we see other people doing that. We think they're so foolish. Yes, yes. We need to be wise enough to realize that we cannot trust our own understanding always. That means we need a time of daily Regular self-examination, self-examination. We need both together. We need the affirmation of God's love. We need an examination of our own hearts. Search me, O God, the Scriptures say, and know me, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Yeah, one of the day-by-day things you need, yes, you need that time alone every day with God to be reminded of God's love and to have the examining uh, uh, microscope of His Spirit on your heart, and you will become wiser as a result. And there's a third thing that is here as well, and that is this, mentoring. We want to walk in the way of mentoring friendships. Friendships mentoring friendships. Now, this may be a little bit uh, uh, obscure, but notice what it says here at the beginning. My son, do not forget my teaching. So we see right away the subject of this discursus is the son. There's a father involved, but if you understand the book in general, you realize that it's not really just a father-son relationship. It's really a wise mentor to children under his care. That's what this whole book is. It's a manual for wisdom that was given, generally speaking, to young boys to teach them how to become men. And they learned in concert with other guys under the leadership of faithful, caring mentors. My son, do not forget my teaching, it says. And then in verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. In other words, listen to the wisdom of others. You see, the fool does not think he needs anyone else. He is wise in his own eyes. But the wise man surrounds himself with wise counselors and wise mentors. You see, the path of wisdom is not a solo adventure. It is meant to be walked in community with others. Yes, we can get information in the class. I can give you information in this class, class. But we get wisdom in community. We need dialogue with other people. We need people who are on this same path with us, helping us. And yes, that's why we want to be developing more and more small group opportunities for you to have the opportunity to kind of walk this path together. Yeah, it's something you do together together. We need regular practice of being a part of a community having relationships that help us and strengthen us and, and can challenge us and can encourage us and can lift us up. Those relationships are really important, and it doesn't just happen on a Sunday morning. We need people who know us, people who care about us. We need mentors above us. We need students below us. We need, inter- we need lots of interchange between us and around us. That's what the Christian life is all about and the understood in the, wis- in the, wi- in the wise old days of Solomon as well. Yes, we need the rag- regular practice of community. And if, I, if you're interested in becoming a part of a small group of some sort, let me know and I'll be glad to try to help you get into one uh, as we get those things going, okay? That there's a fourth thing that we see as well. We need to walk in the way of scriptural truth, scriptural truth. He says, "'My son, do not forget my teaching, and, uh, but let your heart keep my commandments.'" Let your heart keep my commandments. And the word commandments in that text is the word Torah, which is the word for the Old Testament law, the books of Moses. In other words, he says, if you want to be wise, make sure you look at the book of wisdom. Make sure you keep my commandments. We must be, and this is the point I want you to see, if you want to be a wise person, you need to commit yourself to the process of becoming a student of the wisest book ever written. Becoming a student of Scripture. We must not forget it, it says, and we must keep it. if If we must not forget it, that must mean we must learn it. You know, one of the important things is to realize if you don't know hardly anything about Scripture, make a decision that that will not be the case a year from now. Make a decision about the way you will live your life so that you can become more familiar with this great epic story about the creation, which is what? Beautiful in God's design, broken by human sin, rescued by God's grace, and restored through Jesus' resurrection. It's a beautiful story. We need to be students of that Scripture. We must not forget it. That must mean we must learn it. We must keep it. That must mean we must obey it. We don't simply want to know it. We want to be doers of the Word. Like it says in Psalm 119, Your Word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A light unto my... Path. I'm still thinking about that walk home from the buffalo chip on Friday night when I'm walking, and God's moon was a light unto my path. It doesn't give me light for a long ways away, but it gave me enough light for the next step along the way. And the lamps that they used in those days were very much that way. They didn't always tell you the long way range, but it gave you enough light for each step, and that's very often the way God's Word works. You know, the second verse of that song we sang before this message says, O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. Yeah. Let God's Word be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path and prepare to be a little frustrated sometimes because sometimes scriptural wisdom gives you news you don't like. (laughs) It tells you things you wish weren't true. Yeah, but still let God's wisdom guide your life. And then there's a fifth thing in the path of wisdom as well and that is to walk in the way of suffering. Suffering. Oh, my goodness. It says in the 11th verse, Lord, uh, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves and the Father and the Son in whom he delights. Here we see that difficult times are also part of walking the path of wisdom. You know, I made a decision a few months ago that I wanted to get into better shape. And so I pulled out my bicycle and I began to ride. And I got to tell you, it was very, very, very painful, (laughs) very painful. And if you know anything about our physiology, you know what exercise does. It tears down in order to build up. You knew that, didn't you? That's why it hurts when you walk or run or swim or do those things. Your muscles are crying out. They're getting hurt. They're getting torn down. But then your body senses the weakness within it, and it goes, and it strengthens the very place which was weak. You cannot get strong without being broken, muscularly speaking. And Jesus Himself said, "Except a grain of the wheat fall on the ground and die, it bears no fruit. But if it dies, it bears fruit a hundredfold." Yes, we need to be willing to embrace suffering and the discipline of the Lord. That's how exercise works. I'm sorry. I remember that little girl who was walking up the mountain to get the feet of an antelope. Her name was much afraid, and the shepherd walked with her for a while, and. Uh, uh, and, she, and then she met the two companions who were going to walk with her the rest of the way. And the shepherd brought her these companions, and they looked rather austere and somber. And he introduced them to the, the two, two companions who were to walk with her the rest of the way, she who was limping and could not walk well. And she said, here are your two companions, pain and sorrow. And she said, oh, no, Lord, this must not be the right companions. He said, I will choose your companions. Everyone who walks to the high places has to embrace these two. And it's true. We must be willing to embrace pain and sorrow. And so she did finally grasp hold of those two hands. And they were painful at first, but they were sure and they were strong. And they were effective guides. Until at the end of that journey, those two companions, pain and sorrow, got two new names, which I will not tell you. You can read the book. That's why I love this song we sang a little bit earlier. Oh, joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be Yes, and of course, as we embrace that way of pain and suffering, we also know that there was one who walked that way before us. His name was Jesus, and he walked a mountain, and he died on a cross because he gave his life for you and me so that he could offer to us new life on the other side of the grave That's why we can say with the last verse of that song, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead. And from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall endless be. Yeah. Jesus is the ultimate sufferer who gave to us the ultimate victory. So I want to encourage you, let's walk the path of wisdom. Are you ready for this? Let's do it. Let's be people who are committed to learning more about God's love and faithfulness day by day, step by step. Let's be people who are committed to developing a healthy process of self-examination day by day, step by step. Let's become a people who are committed to mentoring friendships with one another day by day, step by step. And let us be people who want to know and understand and apply scriptural truth to our lives day by day and step by step. And let's be people who are willing to walk the path of suffering. Day by day, step by step, let's bring wisdom into a world hell bent on foolishness. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, make us wise people. We offer ourselves to you, and we thank you for your offering yourself for us. I pray that you'll help us to walk the path of wisdom. Thank you for walking it first before us for walking that path up that hill called the skull where you suffered for us. Thank you that the cross is a stumbling block to many and foolishness to others, but to those who are the called, it is the wisdom of God. We embrace that wisdom here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.